Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. We get to celebrate a risen king this morning on this beautiful morning. Ephesians 1.7 says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Let's stand together, let's celebrate and singing praises this morning. There is now a hope that lasts beyond our days. For the one that once was buried lives again. Now the tomb is bare and empty and the stone is rolled away. Praise the risen one who overcame the grave. All you broken hearted, all you worn and weak Come find living water, everlasting streams To the wandering spirit, lost and searching, wanting something more Find the risen King who overcomes the world let there be dancing in the darkness and let our song break through the night lift your voice and sing that christ is king for jesus is alive sing this church no more condemnation no more doubt and fear for our sin and shame, they have no power here. In His resurrection, perfect love has set the captives free. Praise the risen King who stands in victory. Yeah. Let there be dancing in the darkness and let our song bring is undone hallelujah jesus is one hallelujah we overcome oh in jesus oh in jesus hallelujah death is undone hallelujah jesus is one hallelujah we overcome oh in jesus oh in jesus
Amen. Church, you can have a seat. Check out this video. So, so this men's group in particular uh, began with an organized men's group uh, Wednesday mornings here at the church. The majority, I guess, of the, the beginning of the group just kind of found ourselves sitting next to each other week, week in, week out. Uh, and at the conclusion of that study, just kind of got together and agreed it'd, it'd be great to continue uh, in kind of a small group setting on our own. My bride is a phenomenal cook and she enjoys uh, hosting folks, so she makes us a meal. And uh, so we normally will sit around for half an hour, drink coffee, uh, eat breakfast, catch up on each other's weeks, check in on each other's families, you know, goof around laughing about, you know, something going on that week in the news or whatever. We just finished up Nehemiah, had a 14 week study in that over the last few months. We'll kind of take turns leading each week, going through a chapter and just kind of analyzing that through the lens of spiritual leadership. Have a discussion about that, pray together, and but it kind of had to work. Group means a whole lot uh, to me. I think that it's been very rewarding to um, get to invest time in, uh, in, these, in these guys and build relationships for uh, encouragement, you know, going through similar challenges in this stage of life. Uh, as husbands, as fathers, and just to hear that other people have similar challenges that they're going through and how they approach that, you know, with their faith and really just kind of having that encouragement from them, seeing that others are praying for us uh, in that walk, it has just been very rewarding for me. This group for me has been a source of consistency, of community with but Jesus following men. And so that's been the coolest thing is that I know week to week when I walk into Sam's house, I know that I'm gonna find like-minded people who are just trying to follow in obedience. The men's study that led to the formation of this group was the first one I had really ever gone to and it's led to so many different things you know, that, that have been wonderful ever since. And so uh, just kind of encourage people to try it if they have the availability to. And, and continue trying things that may put you out of your normal comfort zone a little bit because it's really been wonderful what's, what's transpired for me personally you know, since, since kind of joining in on that. God is doing in those men's studies and all studies happening across fellowship. And so we do have summer studies that are happening. I'm highlighting this one, the, the men's study from 1 Peter. Uh, we're about to jump into 1 Peter for most of the summer. And so uh, it's a Thursday morning study. Uh, men, we'd love for you to get together, especially if you're here most of the summer, you want something to do, do you wanna get together with some guys, get to know some more people here? This group is gonna be getting together. There's also a Wednesday morning group. Women, there's a Bible study going on as well in the evening during the week. And so if you want more info, you can head over to the community booth or scan that QR code. It'll get you in the right direction for all of that information. Well, good morning. My name is Andrea. I'm the production coordinator here, and I represent uh, the worship arts team whenever I'm here on stage. And one thing I wanted to share with you guys is coming up in a couple weeks on June 11th at 1.30 p.m., we're gonna be having a Spectra brainstorm session. If you don't know what Spectra is, it is our art community here at Fellowship Fayetteville. It is essentially us coming together to praise God through art. All kinds of art are welcome here. Um, and we are going to dream a little bit about what we want the future of Spectra 
to look like. And so it's open, there's no registration required. It's after church on Sunday, so there's some time for you to go get lunch and then come back. And we're just gonna get together in the classroom right through these doors um, that we will just hang out and dream a little bit. It's gonna be fun. And then one last announcement. We are in the throes of summer. Who is excited that summer is here? Yes, it is coming. For those who are still in school, it's coming. There's graduations this weekend. Um, But I am so excited about this one thing that we do at Fellowship called Worship One, Serve One. It's the idea that we have two services on Sunday morning so you can worship for one service and then you can serve for the other service because as much as our team is mighty, It takes a lot of hands to get things running around here. And so we have needs everywhere where we need volunteers this summer. If you can't tell, we're in a college town and our college students love to serve and they all went home. So we would love for you to get involved. That QR code will get you to our generic serve form. But one area I really wanted to highlight, we are in need of a summer team for our Fayette kids and early elementary uh, leaders and teachers. And so we will have them at the info booth out there for you to sign up. If you're gonna be here most of the summer, maybe just one vacation, but otherwise you're here, um, that summer team is just is a great way to serve for just um, a couple of or a couple of months, and then uh, hand it back to the people who are normally here. Uh, that sign up is going to be at the info booth. Uh, we need about twenty people for the nine o'clock and ten people for the ten thirty. So go check that out afterwards. All right, that's all I got. I'm ready to pray over you, and then let's get this morning going. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this community for all the people who are here um, on a little bit of a quieter morning here at Fellowship. God, each person who is here, you know exactly where their heart is. You know what they're feeling. And yet you pointed them to this room at this time. And we don't know why, but we know that you have something planned and what will be said this morning. Lord, as we worship, And as Brian speaks, may you just be the forefront of it all. We give this service to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's continue to worship this morning.
the lamb had conquered death and the dead burst from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored in the church of Father, that, that we sing to, that we give praise to, because we have redemption through the Son. So let's, remi- let's be reminded this morning of why we need that redemption, that we're all sinners that fall short. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. Church, we have hope. We have a living hope in Jesus for all of us that believe in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And we've given our lives, we've devoted our lives to following him and trusting him, then we have hope. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's continue to sing about that living hope this morning. In the morning, let's feel the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. No claim on me. Sing it again, church. And came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared.
remain standing for reading of God's word. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one, like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And his head and his hair were like, were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, fellowship. Good morning. Hey, I'm going to do something that uh, normally don't do, but I want to brag on one of our staff members, uh, Garland Autry. He recently uh, set the record for the most amount of time spent in a tanning bed, um, Nah, I'm just kidding. I have no idea why that picture, he looks so orange. But you may not know this about Garland, but Garland is currently pursuing his PhD at Midwestern uh, Seminary. Not only that, he's earned his master's, his specialty, what he's studying is the book of Revelation. Not only that, uh, he is going to receive his PhD studying on Revelation, where he's going to have to complete an entire book uh, on his thesis. Not only that, he has spent months memorizing uh, the book of Revelation word for word. Pretty impressive, right? Uh, Wow, yeah, that's right. So it's only natural when we end up our series about the post-resurrection encounters with Jesus and we come to John uh, encountering Jesus in the book of Revelation that the person, the most natural person to teach that is me. I have no idea and no reason why I'm up here, but I am happy to be up here uh, with y'all this morning. Uh, The book of Revelation is probably the most debated book about like what does it actually means. Uh, There's so much symbolism and imagery throughout the book. And so before I get started, I want to lay a couple of, I I call them like theological lanes or foundations, uh, just so you, you understand where we come from when we approach this book. Uh, The first one is this. Revelation was written to seven real churches that existed during the time the letter was written. All these churches were around uh, the area, which is modern-day Turkey. These churches could represent types or characteristics of churches found in any time period, including ours. So the letters went out to real churches uh, that existed, but... They have certain characteristics, good and bad, that could exist in any church. 
during any time period since then. The second one is this. Revelation was written in the context of a fallen world when empires ruled under the influence of dark spiritual forces. These forces are still at work in the world today. Revelation gives saints instructions on how to respond to such powers then and now. And since the time the book of Revelation was written, we've seen empires come and go, uh, but these same spiritual forces that were guiding them are guiding in the world today. And, and so Revelation is not this book that we, we read and we think about going, oh, well, when, when the end time finally comes, that's when we get it in gear, and that's when we like uh, start living this stuff out. It's meant to be like, no, as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, we constantly live. Um, the way that we should, and, and represent him, no matter who's in charge of the world. And finally, though, uh, I do want to nail this, that there will be a real imminent return of Christ, that the whole book is not just this allegory, um, but it is talking about a future event that will happen and that Christ will return. And imminent just means that Christ could come at any point, at any time, and that's the way that we're supposed to live. And so he could come today, and so we should live accordingly, uh, or it could be 200 years from now. We don't know, but he will return. Amen? Amen. All right. So before I get to that, though, oh, by the way, oh, can't leave this out. Uh, There's a commentator who kind of summed it up. He goes, Revelation is actually a really easy book to understand. And I was like, man, what in the world is he talking about? And he goes, you can sum it up into two words. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. So if you want to know what the book is, the theme is of Revelation, it is Jesus wins. All right. So before we get started, I wanted to tell y'all a little story, a true story. Recently, last month, I had one of those big birthdays come up, um, kind of one of the ones that makes you go, oh, kind of, kind of a wound. Uh, I turned 50. Yeah. Turned 50. Yeah, thank you. One person was excited. Um, it was one of those birthdays that, you know, like, I haven't been bothered by any other birthday, but I've been bothered by this one for some reason. Um, but to be honest with you, I feel great. Uh, nothing has really changed. feel the exact, exact same person. Uh, matter of fact, I think the only thing that's really changed, for some reason, like beforehand, I used to hang out at all these hip, like indie coffee shops uh, around Fayetteville, and for some reason, I'm just drawn to hang out at Panera. Um, <laughs> I'm not implying anything, um, but, but that's really the only thing that's changed. But for this birthday, my wife, she said, hey, we're going to do something special for you, and she allowed me to go get a kayak for my birthday. I love kayaking. And you might remember uh, several months ago, Garland was teaching, and he said that he hated fishing. And I can totally relate to that. Uh, the only difference is, um, is that every couple of years, I get this idea that fishing sounds really cool and that I'd really love it. Uh, I should probably like track this, and, and then it just like goes away, but it comes back. But I love being on the river. I love being on the lake. Uh, but I hate fishing. But all of a sudden, I had that urge again, like fishing would be really cool. And I was talking to my friend, good friend, one of my favorite people at this church, Kent Martin. I think he's sitting right out there. And he was telling me that like the week prior that he had gone out on the White River and him and his buddies caught like 60 fish. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I've caught 60 fish in my entire life. 
A matter of fact, he took a picture of it. These are just the ones that he kept. And I was like, oh, man. So I was like, man, I'm going to do that. And so I got my friend. I figured out exactly which stretch of the White River um, that, it was, that it was on. And so me and my buddy went out there. Just going to tell you a little bit about that experience. Um, got to the river. The day was so windy uh, that when we got on the river that never been on this section before, that we ended up kayaking the wrong way. Um, doesn't happen too often on a river, by the way. Uh, you've got a 50-50 chance, but we like headed in the wrong direction up river. Uh, we finally figured it out. About a mile into our kayaking trip, I look over at my friend and he looks at me and he goes, hey, where did my fishing pole go? And I was like, Man, I have no idea. He'd been fishing with it. Uh, we lost it somewhere on the river. We went looking for it. It's at the bottom of the White River um, right now. A uh, little bit later on. So we started just kind of like passing my fishing pole back and forth. Um, we get to one spot and floating through the river, and I get my first bite on the line. And I get so excited. Didn't catch the fish, but I get my first bite. And so it's at this area where there's this smooth rock, and, and you can get out. And I was like, oh, I'm going to fish from here. Maybe this is where the fish are at. And I'm on this rock, and I'm just fishing, fishing, fishing. Don't get anything else. Finally, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going back in my kayak. Step into the water on the smooth rock. Immediately, both feet come out from under me. Boom! Land flat on my back in the water, just moaning. But it gets better. We're kayaking along. There's this big tree blocking uh, the way, so we have to get out. We have to take our kayaks out. And I noticed my friend who has a kayak like this, he's, he's reaching in there. Remember I said we had to trade our poles back and forth, and I was like, man, what are you doing? He's like, well, there's a piece of styrofoam at the front of these kayaks, and he got the fishing lure stuck at the very end uh, of the kayak. And you may not have noticed, but I have the arms of orangutan. Um, and so I said, well, like, hey, man, let me, let me reach in there. I think I can get it. And I get down like this, and I reach in there. Some of y'all know where this is going. Uh, I reach in there, and my friend goes, hey, man, be careful. It's a treble hook. And sure enough, I reach in there as far as I can, and my finger goes right through the hook. And I can't pull it towards me because the line is wrapped around the foot peg. And I can't push it forward to give it slack because it just pushes the hook deeper in. So I'm just like, dude, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And as you can see, I can't get my other arm in there. And he's freaking out. He's like, can you do this? Can you do this? And I'm like, dude, I can't. I'm, I'm stuck. And it was at this point where I started thinking, you know, this fishing trip hasn't really gone the way that I thought it would go. (laughs) And I don't know how long I was like this, but I started thinking like, okay, so like, is search and rescue going to have to come out here? Are we going to have to cut a hole in the kayak? Uh, Is he just going to have to push me onto the river and I'm just going to float down the river (laughs) just like this? And at that point, I look up And another fisherman has seen me, and he starts walking towards me. And that's when pride took over. And I literally just yanked my finger out of the hook. And, of course, it's bleeding, and I just put it behind my back. And he comes up, and he goes, hey, just wanted to see. Did y'all need some help or something? I was like, nah, something was stuck in there, but I got it out. (laughs) I'm good. Okay, that's the setting of Revelation right there. 
It really is because you got to picture John was this guy who was following after the Lord, doing what God had asked him to do. And because of his faithfulness and because of the word of God, it'll say clearly in scripture, and because of his witness, he gets sent away from his church to the island of Patmos. And I think he was thinking some of the same things of like, man, this is not going the way that I thought it would. And that's the setting. And notice what happens. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was doing God's will, but I was sent away. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I want to pause right now. And that's a message, a spiritual principle right there. I think some of us need to hear is that John was truly suffering, but he did not stop pursuing the Lord. And a lot of times during our suffering, we want to blame God, but John is pursuing God in the midst of his suffering. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Bergamum. That one's a hard one for me. To Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, we see in here so much imagery, and it's so much imagery that we may not be used to. But what John was doing, he was pointing back. As a matter of fact, John was somebody who knew the Old Testament and loved it. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, there's over 250 connections to the Old Testament as you go through it. And I'm going to give you a quiet time that I want you to pursue sometime this week. I want you to read Ezekiel 1. Daniel 10 and Revelation 1, 12 through 17, that's what we just read. And notice the similarities. And do you know what the setting is in those other places in Daniel and Ezekiel? It's when Israel was in exile, that evil empires had come in and had taken them away. And I feel like they're feeling the same thing that John was feeling. And they're saying, God, this is not going the way that we thought it would. God, you are the most, you're the one and only true God, the most powerful being in the universe, but these evil empires have taken over. And during the lowest of the lows, in Ezekiel, God got to see in a vision God's glory. And in Daniel, 
the angel Micah, Michael came to him. And basically, they came with a message just saying, hey, I know from an earthly perspective, it looks like evil is winning. But I want you to know that God's in control. And he appears to John, and it's Jesus. And he's saying, hey, I want to change your perspective. I know it looks like evil is winning. I know there's this empire called Rome, and it looks like they are in control. But hey, let me tell you something. I'm the one who's in control. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is coming in a posture of victory. Jesus, when it says that he's holding the keys of death and Hades, he's he's saying, man, the, the worst thing that they can do to you, John, I have victory over that. The worst thing that they can do to you is kill you. But you don't have to fear that. It it is so similar to, if you've ever seen one of the movies where the knight goes out and he encounters the, uh, the head bad guy, evil guy, and he chops off his head and he brings it in and he throws it in onto the ground. The head, the, the image is saying, we don't need to fear this guy anymore. He's been defeated. Jesus is saying, he's like, Man, when I was crucified, I went and I did battle. And this is my spoils of war that have come back in death and Hades. I'm the one who has control over that now. As one commentator said, it says that he has the keys of death of Hades and of death in Hades certainly implies that the destiny of human souls is entirely under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ. I believe this means that as believers and followers in Christ that we don't even experience death. That when our mortal bodies come to an end, we step into life and experience relationship, unhindered relationship with our creator. So Jesus is telling John, hey, there's nothing to fear here. I hold the ultimate destiny in my hands. Therefore, write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after these things, which is a great outline to the book of Revelation. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars that are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He says, hey, write these letters, write these things down and send it. You're gonna send these to the seven churches. And if you read the next two chapters, which we won't get into in detail, it's this best way to describe it, the most simple way to describe it. It's, it's almost like a report card sent out to the seven churches. And just to give you a brief overview, out of those seven churches, there's two churches that receive no rebuke. Basically, they're doing great. 
And Jesus describes them. There's two other churches that receive nothing but a rebuke. And then you even look at the way that Jesus describes them, and you're just like, oh, man, could you even call this a church? And then there's three churches where Jesus kind of gives a, a compliment, and he says, hey, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. Gives like a compliment to him, but then he follows it up with a rebuke. But all the ones that, that he talks to and he talks about that, are, that could improve, he says, repent, change. Don't continue to head in this direction. And, and it made me start to think, like if Jesus was to write us a letter today, how would our church do? You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just had the honor, there's a there's the president of this mission agency that we've partnered with that we really love, um, and he was in town, and so we just kind of wanted to develop a deeper relationship with him. He came and talked to some of our staff, but he was also able to come over to my house for our community group, and the community group I'm in is made up of people um, who are seriously considering going overseas. And as he began to share with the group, the first thing that he said is he's sitting there, he's looking out at this group of people, living room is filled up, and he says this, he says, this is not normal. And what he was saying is to have that many people in one room from one body that are willing to move and go overseas. As a matter of fact, I just want to brag on some of them right now, do you realize that this next year, all these people that you see up on this screen, I know if you're watching it on live stream right now, we can't put their faces up there because of the places that we're sending them could be considered dangerous. But all of these people are planning to move overseas in order to take the gospel in the places that it's not. And every one of these locations is within the 1040 window where 3 billion people live. They have zero very little access to the gospel, and they'll be working all with unreached people groups. That's not normal. That's not normal. And I'm so encouraged by this body. But would Jesus say, like, hey, Fellowship Bible Church, I know your deeds, that you get excited about sending people out, but where's your testimony within your own hometown? Fellowship Bible, you do this well of sending people out. But are you a church that holds on to material things? Fellowship Bible Church, you do great taking the gospel to other parts of this world. But where are the older men and women discipling the younger right where you're at? And I'm not saying these are criticism. I'm just saying... And what would it be? And hey, I want to encourage you. Most of these people are going to be out there in the foyer. And I want you to go meet them after the service. And matter of fact, I want to tell you, I'm not asking you to give them any money. What I'm asking you to do is I'd love for you to set up a time, invite them over, go grab coffee with them, hear their story. Hear their story. Become somebody who's engaged with what they're doing. But if our church, if we were to receive a criticism, 
would we be willing to change? And I think that's the important thing. That if God brought something to light, would we be able to say, yeah, we need to change direction? So within those letters and in those words to the seven churches, I pulled out, I want you to, to see what they are. Because I think they're, they're, they kind of fall into two categories. It's words of suffering or it's almost like battlefield language that he sends to these churches. It's words like perseverance, endured, toil, tribulation, suffer, thrown in prison, poverty, be faithful unto death, killed, hold fast. Few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. That was a church that received nothing but a rebuke, but Jesus says there's a few of them who are not living in fear. See, Jesus is saying like, man, church, you either are going through something difficult or you're about to go through something difficult and be ready. And when I read verses like this, I don't even know how the poverty gospel out there exists when you come into the reality of Scripture because Scripture's saying, hey, there's a world out there that does not like what Christ is doing and will do everything it can to stop that. But there's one word that he says to every one of the churches. One word that's to all seven of them, and it's this, overcomes, overcomes. And basically he is saying, he's saying, church, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult. The world is coming at you, but overcome, and there's a, a reward attached to it. And that's where we jump to the end of this encounter. In Revelation, the last chapter says, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, it's a little bit scary teaching on things that we've done. You also see the word deeds mentioned over and over again. And, and let me be clear, Christ here is not talking about our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift that we receive through Jesus Christ. I think what he's talking about is, do we live in the reality that we've received this incredible gift of forgiveness, that Christ has given us victory, that we have nothing to fear. And what are we gonna do because of that? Are we gonna walk in boldness? It reminds me of another verse. When Jesus is walking with his disciples, he's asking the question, he's saying, hey, who do people think that I am? And they, they kind of throw out these different ideas. But then he turns to them, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because, of flesh, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not, will not overpower it. 
My perspective of this verse totally changed when somebody finally pointed out to me and says, it says, the gates of Hades. What are gates for? Gates are to keep something out. It's for defense. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to walk out in offense to spread this message that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And the world, the gates of Hades will not prevail. And sometimes I think that we, and I do it myself, that instead of standing on the rock of truth, what do we do? We hide behind it. We say, oh man, the world's a scary place. I can't get out there. I can't get out there. And then Jesus returns. And we're like, victory! Victory! We won! And if I use that battlefield language, it's like Jesus comes up and says, yes, we've won! We've won! What did you do during the battle? Jesus, let me show you. I found a great place to hide. Jesus saying, what? Like, like, didn't you know that I hold the keys of death and Hades? Like, you had nothing to fear. Did I not tell you that the gates of Hades will not be able to overpower the truth that I am Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? Why did you not live in boldness? I'm going to go back to my kayak. Last weekend, I went on my second kayaking trip with my new kayak. Let me tell you about that experience. And you're like, oh, it's going to be good. Well, we came to the first rapid. I was kayaking with my same friend that I went before. He tumped over, lost his prescription glasses, gone. We came to the second rapid. It's a little hard to explain. Go through it. I have a tooth fall out. We'll get to the details later. So within the first two miles, we lose glasses and I lose a tooth. Now, some people live under a certain theology that they would come up and put their arm around me and they go, Pope, I think somebody's trying to tell you something. Give up kayaking. And this would be my answer. Man, I love the river. Nothing will keep me away from the river. Now let's multiply that importance by a thousand. And I think the story of John is is that John, because he's following after Christ, suffers these things. And Jesus tells these churches that, hey, if you follow after me, you're gonna suffer these things. And that somebody would come up to John and they would say, hey, it seems like your life has really gotten hard after you chose to follow Jesus, why don't you just throw in the towel? And John would say, man, never. I love Jesus. And not only that, he would say, and I'm on the side that wins. Let's live accordingly. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much that you are the one who is victorious, and that's the God that we serve. And God, may we just live accordingly and go out with boldness, dear God, to love and to serve and to sacrifice for people, even in a world that hates us, dear God. 
May we just continue to be a light for them. Amen.
Father, you and you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone can open the scroll. You alone can save us. And so, Father, we praise you, you alone, because you deserve it. We bend the knee to just you. God, any idols that try to come into our lives, may you give us strength to identify them and to say that they are not worth our time and our energy because we've received complete joy through your son. May we rejoice in that today and every day. Church, before we leave this morning, let's sing this song over each other. Press on, press on, we are safe in his arms. When troubles and trials come our way, and seek peace, show grace, and hold fast to your faith for our Savior. Get again, church. Press on. Press on, press on. We are safe in His arms. The troubles and trials come our way. We'll see peace, show grace, and hold fast to Your faith. Amen. Church, through the doors on your right, the prayer room is available. There's communion available in there as well. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.